0: Hello, welcome to the National Affairs Podcast. I'm Dan Weiser. And I'm Hal Whitman. And we are editors of National Affairs. National Affairs, the quarterly journal of essays on domestic policy, political economy, society, culture, and political thought. It aims to help Americans think a little more clearly about our public life, rise a little more capably to the challenge of self-government. It's published jointly by National Affairs Incorporated and the American Enterprise Institute. Today, we are very excited to be joined by Ivana Greco.
1: Ivana practiced as an attorney specializing in qualified retirement plan advising and healthcare litigation until last year. During the COVID-19 pandemic, she became
0: a stay-at-home mother. For our fall 2022 issue, Ivana authored an essay about the pressure on families to keep both parents in the workforce while their children are young. This may be beneficial for GDP, she writes, but it often harms families. She argues that both policymakers and employers should recognize that many families want one parent to stay home with the kids in their early years, and they should find more ways to make that possible. Ivana, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be on it.
0: Yeah. So, Ivana, um, you know, at the beginning of your essay, you start with this idea that there's a sort of bipartisan consensus in favor of helping families get both parents working out of the home, uh, I think you had some interesting examples. Where on the Republican side, you talk about um, there's this tweet they had, the Republican Na- National Committee had last year, saying that Republicans wanted to open school, reopen schools to get mothers back to work. Kind of example of that on the GOP side. And then the Democratic side, you know, President Biden and Democratic lawmakers always talk about their support for universal pre- pre-K, universal preschool, that kind of thing to keep um, parents, particularly mothers, you know, in, in their careers in the workforce. Um, you also mentioned out businesses too developed several policies to help young parents stay in the workforce, you know, paid leave, all those kinds of things we we talk about a lot. And of course, you know, there are benefits to helping more women and mothers um, get into the workforce and, and get a career and, and keep a career. But I think your in, your essay raised some interesting questions about the trade-offs here. So first question I wanted to ask is, you know, what what do we lose in your view when we don't encourage or help families who would like to have one parent stay at home with the kids? And I know there's a good quote in your piece where you say that the desire to put all parents to work overlooks the importance of stay-at-home parents to the well-being of the family and the community. Um, so, you know, there's different benefits there. But, but yeah, just to start off with, um, what do we lose when we don't have more parents who are able to keep one parent at home to raise the kids?
2: So I think we lose on families being able to live their lives the way they want to. I'm certainly in no way arguing that women who don't want to stay home should be kept home. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you look at the data, there's a lot of families who really would like to have a mom or dad home to stay home with the kids. But for government and for employers, this is just not a priority. So we're really losing out on making sure families can live their lives the way that they want to.
1: Mm. So Ivana, you've cited surveys uh, from Gallup and American Compass showing that actually a majority of two-parent families with young children would like to have those children cared for at home. What's also interesting here is the racial and class divide. Hispanic families, for instance, uh, particularly prefer that a parent um, and not someone else be taking care of young children. And that's also true for lower working class and middle class parents who want to have a homemaker rather than using institutional child care. So, you write in your piece that, quote, wealthy parents with advanced degrees want both mom and dad to work and pay for childcare outside the home, and they've successfully shaped government and employer policies to suit those preferences. Everyone else, however, would prefer to have their children cared for at home. Both legislators and employers have left these families out in the cold. So if you could just uh, tell us more about the different preferences among families for childcare.
2: Yes. If you look at the data, it's pretty clear among parents who are less educated, who are less wealthy, um, their strong preference is to have a parent at home. Mm. Um, It's obviously not universal, but many, many parents in that socioeconomic class would like to have a parent at home. Uh, But as you just mentioned, parents who are wealthier and who are more educated prefer to have two working parents, which makes sense. They're capitalizing upon the education that they received and also they're better able to afford quality child care. But for people who are not able to afford that, they'd rather have their kids take, taken care of by mom or dad. So by not providing policies to support them, we leave them in kind of a very difficult bind where they have to have both parents at work, but they're not able to access good child care that they can use to take care of their kids. Mm.
0: Yeah. And our next question kind of touches on that, uh, Ivana, um, with, you know, you mentioned your piece, the sort of lack of high quality and affordable childcare centers or places where parents can take their kids. And I think it's interesting, you mentioned a couple studies um, of kind of subsidized pre-K programs, one in Quebec and one in Tennessee, where they had some really interesting results that they found that children... Um, who attended these programs were worse off in a variety of dimensions. And we're talking about behavioral issues, health, uh, also academic achievement. Um, So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that research and what are some of the takeaways from that?
2: Yeah, so the major study that has been done is uh, in Quebec. So Hmm. in the 1990s, uh, the Quebec government decided it was a large priority for it to encourage women to join the workforce. So it established a universal child care program that allowed child care to be offered at very reasonable rates to people. And from the sense in which it was designed to get women into the workforce, it was hugely successful. Mm -hmm. Many women did enroll their children in these programs and went into paid work or had their children in informal child care arrangements before and then enrolled them in a formal child care arrangement. What was sort of the mirror image of that was that though it did encourage women to join the workforce. It did not seem to be very good for the kids. Um, So sort of both the short-term and the long-term studies showed that the children enrolled in this universal child care program were at a deficit compared to other children. So um, they reported more aggression. The long-term studies showed that they were more likely to engage in crime. um, Kind of across a broad rubric of factors, being in this universal child care program was not very good for the kids, Mm -hmm. even if it might have encouraged their mothers to join the workforce. So I think the big takeaway from that is establishing good quality universal child care is very hard to do, mm-hmm. even when you have very good attention, intentions and even when you have a lot of government resources behind that. So the big takeaway for me um, from that study and from a similar one in Tennessee where a sort of similar program was tried is that, you know, there's a lot of policymakers out there who say, well, we should just create a better, more comprehensive child care system and that will solve this problem. But there are two issues with that. First is some people just don't want their children in childcare, And the second is, you know, we've had very bright people working on this for a long time, and it's a very difficult problem to solve. And there is an easier solution, which is allow parents to take care of their
1: own kids. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so concerning this issue of uh, that we've been discussing, this theme of homemakers being ignored uh, by policymakers specifically, You've written that you've identified really three areas where policy form reforms could, as you say, help families make that choice, support them in the choice of having a stay-at-home parent. And uh, these three areas are social security, retirement savings, and disability and health insurance. And we'd love to, to talk about each of these in, in turn, but uh, to start with social security, in your piece, you argue that legislators should update the Social Security credit system kind of in light of the fact that there is this uh, preference for homemakers in some families and that homemakers in the modern day often are moving in and out of the workforce. So what exactly would this system of childcare credits, this updated uh, Social Security credit system look like? And how would that new system help homemakers specifically?
2: So, I think it would be helpful to start out with just a brief explanation of what exactly the problem is. Hmm. So, our current social security system was designed in the 1930s, and it's very well, it's reasonably well set up to deal with the lifestyles that people had back then. So, if you are a homemaker and you've never worked in your life, our current social security system is fairly well set up to deal with that. Or if you're someone who's worked a traditional career, um, our social security system is well set up to deal with that too. But in the 21st century, homemakers usually don't fall into either of those two categories. So many stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home dads will go in and out of the workforce depending on what their family's needs are. And our Social Security retirement system just does not well um, suit the needs of those people. So what I have proposed, and it's not a unique idea, other people certainly have too, is creating a system of child care credit um, that would allow us to better deal with a homemaker mom or a homemaker dad who goes in and out of the workforce, um, depending on. Say, for example, um, a mom whose kids are little may leave the workforce for a period of time uh, and then rejoin it once her kids are bigger and need less hands-on care.
0: Staying on the idea of just retirement savings more broadly or preparing for retirement, you also note that you know 401ks at workplaces or IRAs, uh, those aren't very adequate for families who want to have one parent stay at home as well. I think, you know, this idea of, you call them family retirement accounts, where it would kind of, rather than having a retirement account just linked to an individual at a workplace, it would bring the family kind of into the idea of saving for retirement. That's a really interesting idea. I was also wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, how that system would work and how that would improve retirement savings for uh, for single-income earner families in particular.
2: Yes, that's an idea that is drawn directly from my experience working as an attorney um, hmm. before I became a stay-at-home mom. Uh, So the way the system is currently set up, um, if you're saving for retirement, um, it's only done on an individual basis. Um, So say dad is home with the kids and mom is working, she'll have a workplace uh, 401k and um, she'll have uh, withdrawals from her paycheck that are deposited into her 401k, -hmm. but it's in her name. And so that can cause a number of different problems. One is that dad just doesn't have title to the money, um, so he doesn't feel involved in it. it, even though it should be thought of as sort of a family nest egg, that's, that's not the way we de, do legal titles to it. And the other thing is that if something happens to mom, this puts dad in a pretty poor position to deal with the account later on. So say mom dies, dad may not know what, um, what funds are in the account or how the funds are invested. And so uh, he has um, sort of like a double whammy of both um, becoming a widower and trying to grapple um, with yeah. the financial accounts, some of which he's just not familiar mm-hmm. with. Or if, say, uh, you know, our hypothetical mom and dad get divorced one day, um, there are a number of lawsuits that come up um, where you're trying to figure out how to divide that money that are really key to the fact that the money is all in mom's name uh, when it comes to retirement accounts. So what I propose is a family 401k that would allow um, both parents to um, put away retirement money into the same account, which not only helps solve some of the problems I just listed, but also just makes it a lot more administratively simple and streamlined uh, for families to save for retirement.
1: So the third of these three policy reform areas uh, regards affordable disability and health insurance. And what could be done to ensure that families with a homemaker have access to affordable insurance? Um, So why, first of all, is family insurance so expensive under the Affordable Care Act and employer plans? And how can we make it cheaper for families?
2: Yeah, so there are two main problems with family health insurance uh, for families that have a stay-at-home mom or dad. Uh, the first one is the way that employers subsidize health care for families. So if you are um, employed and um, your spouse is not, you need to pay part of the premium costs. Um, your employer pays part of it and you pay a percentage of the premium costs. Mm-hmm. And most employers subsidize the premium costs for single employees much more thoroughly than they do for family health insurance. Mm. So let's return to uh, another hypothetical example. Um, Dad's in the workforce. Mom is at home. Um, If dad is just getting health care through his employer alone, uh, he might pay something like um, 17% of the premium cost. But if he is trying to purchase family health insurance for the whole family, he'll pay a larger percentage of the premium on average. He might pay 20 or 23%. And that, for whatever reason, is just how employers have often structured their employer-provided health care in the United States. If you're an individual, it's a lot cheaper um, than it is if you're a family to purchase health insurance. So that's sort of one bucket of problems. Then there is another bucket of problems Due to the way the some quirks about how the ACA was structured. So, the ACA, and this is this was on purpose, this was not an accident, um, makes it so that an employee who has to pay more than 10% of his income on employer health insurance uh, has access to ACA subsidies in the marketplace. So, he can buy cheaper health insurance on the exchanges if he has to spend too much of his income on employer-based health insurance. But if he has a family, um, this subsidy does not attach. So say he is um, paying 25% of his income on family health insurance, Mm -hmm. he doesn't have access to the ACA exchanges and the subsidies um, for purchasing family health insurance. Mm -hmm. So just uh, the way the ACA is structured really disadvantages um, people who have um, um, mom or dad staying home to take care of the kids.
0: Yeah. And and what are some ways, Ivana, that we could try to encourage employers or insurance companies to offer plans that are cheaper for families? Are there ways we can sort of encourage them to do that?
2: Well, I think a big one is um, making the point to employers that they want to encourage um, having uh, families with a homemaker. Um, so. Mm-hmm. Employers right now tackle a broad range of social issues. Um, They have really put the gas on trying to encourage um, mothers to remain in the workforce Mm -hmm. through excellent maternity leave, through stations to pump breast milk. Um, You know, there are a lot of employer policies um, directed at this. And to be clear, I think that's great. Um, I think it's fantastic that employers um, are so encouraging of working mothers. But I think the point needs to be made that they should also be encouraging families that want to have mom or dad homes um, to take care of the kids. That just as they're encouraging moms or dads to stay in the workforce after they have kids, they should also be encouraging families that choose um, to have a homemaker. And providing really good employer health insurance for families is one way to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's another example as a society you think where we're we're thinking too much of the model of the wealthy, educated, two parents out in the workforce, not at home, using childcare care versus uh, middle, lower class families who aren't able to do that but would like to have a parent stay at home.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, and I think there's also, you know, this is probably a job-specific concern, but there certainly are a number of jobs where if a family has kids, it's just really hard to have two full-time working parents. Um, so, for example, truckers. Um, are often gone, you know, long periods of time and irregular hours. And um, for someone who works in that industry, um, who has, you know, kids, it may be really hard to make that job work uh, without having a stay-at-home mom or dad to take care of the kids. So, you know, these are areas where employers, I think, should think about what kinds of employees they have and what demands they're putting on their workforce. But um, I think for many of them, they would find um, that it really would be an important um, benefit for them to offer uh, to make it easier for families to have uh, mom or dad at home.
1: Do you think, in your view, to remedy the ins- family insurance issue, uh, it would suffice to simply reform the Affordable Care Act, or would you prefer introducing new legislation?
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't think just reforming the Affordable Care Act would be. Enough to address this issue. I mean, healthcare in general is a very complex issue, and it is rare that any aspect of healthcare can be simply solved by just passing a law. But in this particular case, um, I think it would take both a combination of government action and employer action to fully address the issue. And part of that is due to some quirks about how we do healthcare in the United States. Um, You know, lots of policy that affects families in the U.S. is very impacted by decisions employer make, employers make rather than just decisions governments makes. And um, healthcare is certainly a very good example of that.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, so as we start to kind of wrap up here in the conversation, Ivana, I wanted to ask about kind of family policy more broadly. Um, and there's been a big debate, especially among Republicans and conservatives recently, about how to approach family policy. Um, and, you know, of course, recently, um, so senators mitt romney richard burr and steve Daines uh release was called the family security act uh, and the latest version of that kind of consolidates a lot of different family programs or policies into one kind of monthly cash benefit for families um you know it would be 350 dollars a month for each young child in a family and 250 dollars a month for each school-aged child and there's been there, that sparked a wide debate on the right um or a, i should say a contentious debate on the right you know there's some I think Republicans conservatives that liked it in the sense that it was showing that Republicans can support families in kind of a post Roe v. Wade era where um, people are wondering whether they are going to kind of put their money where their mouth is and support families. But then there's also a big camp on the right that is very concerned that this type of policy would encourage more dependency, that would kind of go back on some of the welfare reforms of the 90s. And also, it's just too much federal involvement, an issue that should be kind of state and local. Uh, just curious, kind of, what you think about this approach to family policy more broadly. Um, do you think it's a good direction to be going in? Do you have concerns? Or just kind of what your, your thoughts on that um, going forward as the kind of the GOP in particular tries to formulate a new family policy?
2: I'll say that I think the Romney plan is an excellent plan. I think it's very well designed. Um, And I do certainly agree that in the post roe era, um, there is a real need for more comprehensive um, family policy to Mm -hmm. support um, families that have babies. But I would also say that I'm very sympathetic to the concern that um, large government entitlement programs always have downsides, um, Mm -hmm. many of which are hard to predict in advance which is one reason why um, I suggest um, in my paper that family policy should be thought of as not just government action, but also um, uh, putting pressure or encouragement on employers to reshape how they do things and really putting an emphasis on family choice. So I think one thing that um, the left does poorly and um, that conservatives could do much better is stepping back from this idea that there is only one um, good way to have a family, and that is to have both parents in the workforce and the kids mm-hmm. in universal childcare or some sort of government-funded childcare, and instead encouraging families to make the choice that's best for them, whether that's to have both parents working or one parent at home taking care of the kids.
1: No, I think I think that's well well put. And again, in the context of this broader debate, about family policy and having spoken with a lot of people about this i wonder ivana i think some would look at your proposals and you know say that oh we've we've reached an era where the economy is fundamentally structured uh to where almost all families for almost all families two parents working is going to be the only feasible option in any event, just because of, you know, where real wages stand and that social security, uh, reforms and so forth are, are nibbling around the edges of the structural economic change that have happened. So do you, do you think there is any fairness to that idea or do you think that, that, uh, there can be a restructuring of incentives in, in these, um, policy reforms that you you suggest can can really free free up uh, a large number of of couples to um, parent in a different way if that makes sense
2: so i think what i'd say in response to that is that really large policy changes often are quite difficult to execute um Mm -hmm. so when the federal government for example starts dumping huge amounts of money into you know very worthy policy goals um, that often has a lot of side effects. And so, in general, I um, prefer to start with um, incremental policy changes. Um, And I'd say that many of the changes that I suggest actually are issues that really affect people's lives. Um, So, I interviewed a number of um, mostly stay-at-home moms, when I was drafting this paper to find out what their concerns were. And over and over again, the things that they mentioned were um, healthcare is too expensive and uh, we're worried about what we're going to do in retirement. So I do think that those two areas are really fruitful areas for both politicians and employers um, to explore because that's, as far as they can tell, where, pe- where real people's um, concerns are right now. And where they could use the help, even if it's not some giant government program, um, but would really make an actual tangible impact on people's lives.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's that's fascinating, Ivana. But uh, well, once again, uh, it was a great piece. Uh, we appreciate you writing it for us. And we also appreciate you uh, joining us on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: You bet. If you'd like to read Ivana's essay or other articles on National Fairs, please visit our website at nationalfairs.com and consider subscribing. In addition to a printed copy of National Affairs, subscribers obtain unlimited access to our online archives. You can listen to more episodes of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at National Affairs. Thanks for listening.